0: I heard a rumor this week that uh, Pastor Ryan got up here last week and said, like, some really nice things about me and uh, how much he appreciates uh, the teaching that I do every week, and I just want you to know that none of that's true, um, those real nice words, um, I really do appreciate um, the affirmation that he, he he gave me last week, uh, the encouragement that he gave me last week, but I just want you to know um, it's one of the great privileges that I have, that God has given me, and one of the, it brings great humility in my life to be able to stand before you every week and open the Bible and say, thus says the Lord. Um, it's a very humbling experience to be able to study uh, weeks on end and put together uh, messages to be able to deliver to you. It's a great honor and privilege in my life to be able to stand before you and teach the Bible. Um, and so I just want you to know that. Uh, and this morning, and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a copy of the text, go ahead and turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If you don't have it with you, it'll be on the screen behind me as we read it together. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes these words to this dispersed group of Christians um, all around the Mediterranean region as he um, shepherds them through his writings. And he says these, this, this to them in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, If you're a parent in the room this morning, you probably can relate to what I'm about to tell you with regards to my own children. But if you're a parent, you have these occasions uh, throughout your child's life uh, where you look at them every once in a while and you go, you don't look the way that you used to look, right? Um, I can remember having certain moments and certain junctures because I see them every day, right? They get out of bed and they brush their teeth and they eat breakfast and I send my son off to school. I drop him off or I pick him up, bring him home. We eat dinner together. We wrestle on the floor and he goes to bed. We read books and we say prayers. and We do that routine day after day after day after day after day after day. After day. And every day when he wakes up, he looks the same as he did when the night before when he went to bed. But there are certain moments when we're wrestling on the floor together or we're having a conversation around the dining room table and I look at him and all of a sudden I realize his facial structure has changed a little bit, right? His cheeks look a little bit differently than that I remember them looking. You have these kind of lucid moments every once in a while where things, you notice developmental changes that you don't see on an incremental basis because you're with them every day. Or whenever we go on vacation, there have been a few times where Karen and I have had an opportunity to go away for a week and we left our kids with one of our sets of parents and you come home and they just don't look the same as they did whenever you left because there's things that are changing incrementally that you don't see every day whenever you look at them, but you have those lucid moments every once in a while where you go, you're clothes, right? Why doesn't that shirt fit you anymore, <laughs> right? It's a little too short now because you're beginning to grow taller or they begin to fill out their clothes a little bit differently as they age, right? Because there's changes that are taking place as they mature, developmental changes that are taking place as they grow. as a natural part of the process of maturation. In fact, if that gets stunted or stalled, then there's probably something wrong with them, right? And so you have these lucid moments every once in a while where you look at them and you go, What happened to my baby? (laughs) I can remember thinking about my son as he's now seven. And I can look at him and he goes, you don't have those pudgy cheeks anymore. They've kind of trimmed down and your, your facial structure has changed. Your clothes don't fit the same way anymore. What happened? He's growing. He's maturing. He's changing. And listen, as I think about 2015 and us as a church moving into this year together, whenever I look in the mirror, I want that so badly for myself. I want that kind of maturation in my life. I want that kind of change in my life. When I look in the mirror in January 1, 2016, I go, You don't look the same way that you did a year ago. And I'm not talking about a few more gray hairs and a few more wrinkles and laugh lines around the face. I'm talking about character and conduct and convictions. That there'd be change, there'd be a maturation. I want that for myself. I want that for our staff. That I want them to mature. I want them to develop. I want them to grow. And by God's grace and mature in their faith. I want that for our elders, the men who would serve this church as pastors and shepherd her in the direction that God leads us. And I want that for you. I want that for you as our congregation, as Jesus' people, that in 2016, you look back on 2015 and you go, I don't look the same way I did today, back in 2015. I don't look the same way in 2015 as I did in 2014. Why? Because there's maturation that's taking place, and there's growth that is taking place. I'm jealous to see that in my life. I'm jealous to see that in the life of our staff. I'm jealous to see that in the life of our elders and pastors, and I'm jealous to see that in your life. Because as I look around the landscape of the American church today, there are so many American Christians uh, who are parts of churches who are so malnourished and, quite frankly, a little immature because they're malnourished. And I'm not talking about physically malnourished, right? We just came through a season. Kevin and I were talking about that just the other day, right? I feel like I've gained about 30 pounds over the course of the last couple of weeks because you eat more and more frequently than you do the rest of the year during the season. So I'm not talking about physically us being malnourished. I'm talking about our souls being malnourished, spiritually being malnourished, our life of faith being malnourished, See, in the American church, there's many of us in the room who perhaps no one has seen any kind of muscle tone in our abdomen for like, since we were nine, okay? <laughs> uh, however, however, spiritually, our souls, our, be- our, our spiritual bellies are distended and our ribs are all showing, right? Physically, we may be hydrated because we, we have all the water that we possibly need to drink along with all the Coke and Dr. Pepper that we possibly can drink, right? But phys- spiritually, we're dehydrated. Physically, we perhaps have progressed and matured, but spiritually, perhaps we have stalled and been, our growth has been stunted. Because for some of us in the room, there's been years and years and years without any kind of marked change in our character. Or any kind of marked change in our conduct. Or any kind of marked change in our convictions. And I'm so jealous to see that in my life and so jealous to see that in your life. And I think Peter tells us in this text how we can mature this year, that 2015 we would look differently and act differently and think differently and value differently than we did in 2014. And Peter says in this text that we just read together that the, the means of our maturation, the way that we are going to mature, the, the path to maturing is craving. That's so what he says. That the way that we're going to grow, the way that we're going to mature spiritually is by craving. Now, what does he say that we should crave? If you look in the text, if you go back into 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1, or verse 2, I'm sorry, he says, like newborn infants long, some of your translations translate it, crave for pure spiritual milk. Peter says that we must crave the word of God. If we're going to mature, if we're ever going to progress past where we are today and look in the mirror and say, my character is different today than it was yesterday, or my conduct's different today than it was yesterday, or my convictions are different today than they were yesterday, then we're going to have to crave the word of God. Now, Peter says here, he calls the word of God, the pure spiritual milk. Now, why do I call it the word of God? If you go back into chapter one, verse 22 to verse 25, listen to what Peter says. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another And then he rolls into chapter 2, verse 1, So put away these things, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants, crave or long for pure spiritual milk, the most nearest reference to the pure spiritual milk in the text if you point backwards is the word of God which has caused us to be born again this living and imperishable seed that has been planted within our souls that caused us to come to life and Peter says what caused you to be born you should crave for and you should long and you should pant after Just the pure spiritual milk, he says. So the the very word of God, the very words of God as he dispenses them through the Bible, as he's recorded them for us and preserved them throughout human history. So the Bible becomes the lens by which we see who God is and what he has done, who we are and what we should do. Who God is, what he's done, who we are, what we should do as it's recorded for us in scripture. And Peter says the way that you mature, the way that you grow, the way that you progress beyond where you are today to where God would take you tomorrow is by craving and longing for this book. For these words that he has recorded and preserved for us. Now, he refers to them as milk, and most of any of us who know 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you go, well, doesn't the milk refer to these basic elementary teachings? Isn't that all he's really talking about is the basics of the faith? But if you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this. He rebukes the church at Corinth because they still needed milk, and they weren't ready for meat there in 1 Corinthians 3. And he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, listen, you're still like infants. You haven't matured in your faith. But nowhere in the text in Peter does he make this contrast between milk and meat. He just says, in the same way that a baby longs and craves for its mother's milk, because by that milk it's nourished and it matures and it develops and its immune system becomes strong. In the same way that a baby craves and longs after milk, so should you as one who's been born of God. That you would feast on these words. In the same way that a baby feasts on its mother's milk. In the same way that a baby longs for its mother's milk. In the same way that a baby craves its mother's milk. He says, you should crave the very words of God. Think of what Jesus says in the Gospels, and he says, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every what word that comes from the mouth of God. As we look at, as we consider what that is for us in our context today, it's these, this book that has been written and inspired by God and written by human authors and preserved for us throughout centuries to know who God is and what He's done and who we are and what we should do. And he says, like a baby craves milk, you should crave this if you want to mature. Now, I remember when our kids were born and they were infants and we brought them home from the hospital. Um, and my wife had determined to feed naturally, to breastfeed. And so we were committed to that. We were going to do that. And, we, and she did it. By God's grace, she did it. Right? With our kids up until almost both of them were nearly a year old. But I can remember at times when I would be holding them, Right? I'd be holding them and playing with them, right? That's about all I was good for, right? Making them laugh, giggle a little bit, tickling them, you know, wiping their bottom whenever they had messed themselves and changing diapers and putting, you know, uh, food in their mouth when they got a little bit older and started eating that mashed up nasty stuff that you feed babies whenever they're little like that. So that's about all I was good for. But she had the goods, right? She had the milk, that the baby longed for and craved, and I can remember there were times where I was holding our child, I was holding our son, I was holding our daughter, and every once in a while, when the, when, our, when Sarah and Caleb got hungry, they would turn their head toward my chest, and they would kind of start doing this number right here, right, <laughs> kind of wiggling that head around. They'd open their mouth and they're like trying to. It's what it's what's known in in the breastfeeding world as rooting, right? She was our our kids were rooting, right, kind of like a like a. Wild animal, like digging for roots or something like that. They were rooting. They were looking for food. They were craving. Why? Because a baby's belly can only hold about every three or four hours, right? And then it starts to empty again. It gets hungry. It gets starts having this growling. And so what does a baby do? It starts crying. And it cries. How long? Until you feed it or it dies, right? One of the two. And so until you put something in its mouth and in its belly, it cries and it cries and it cries and it cries. And what Peter is saying here is he says if you want to mature, if you want to grow, you've got to be like a baby that longs and craves after milk that's going to provide it nourishment and sustain it and give it strength. So you've got to root for the Bible. You've got to turn your head toward this book and kind of wiggle it around and consume it like a baby does its mother's milk to find nourishment, to find strength. And notice what he says about why it is that we should crave this way. What's the purpose of all this? He says, so that by it, you might what? Grow into salvation. The purpose of this long is that you and I would mature. We might grow up into salvation. That we would mature, we would change. Right? We would change. Our character wouldn't be the same in 2015 as it was in 2014. Our conduct wouldn't be the same in 2015 as it was in 2014. Our convictions wouldn't be the same in 2015 as they were in 2014 because we're maturing and we're developing because there's this longing, this craving within our bellies and our souls to turn our head toward the Bible and and eat and drink of what God has to say so we might grow into salvation. Now, what Peter has in mind here is not this, okay? Let me just go ahead and throw this out on the table. What Peter is not saying is that we must grow to some predetermined benchmark of character or predetermined benchmark of conduct or predetermined benchmark of convictions in order to be saved. That's not what he's saying. In order to come to life, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, is that if you are alive and have been born of God, Right? then there would be maturation because maturation is evidence of life. It's evidence of healthy life, that you mature beyond where you are today. So he's not saying you got to grow to this point to be saved, but he's saying if you are saved, you will grow. If you are saved, you will mature. Not you have to mature up these rungs of the ladder in order for God to be gracious to you, but if God has been gracious to you and he's caused you to be born again, then what, what will happen? There will be maturation, there will be growth, there will be change, marked change in your life. Because growth and maturation is the evidence of being alive. Peter says you'll grow into salvation in the same way that a middle school kid, right? Some of you middle schoolers in here, right? you got like self, size 12 feet. You ever seen those, those kids in middle school? They got like size 12 feet and they're like five, five foot one, right? And they're just kind of like, whoa, whoa, you know, they don't know quite how to, what to do with those skis down there on the bottom of their legs, right? But over the course of time, what happens is their, the rest of their frame grows up into the size of those feet, and they kind of fill out that frame, don't they? So they might be 6'3 or 6'4, not quite as gangly any longer, right? They grow into their body, and the same is true about those of you who have been brought from death to life by the living and abiding word of God. You know, there is a growth into a purer, truer reflection of the image of Christ in your life as you mature and develop. So in 2015, you love God more than you did in 2014. Will you grow up into that? In 2015, Will your commitment to Jesus' church and his mission be more visible in your life in 2015 than it was in 2014? Will you be more invested in what's going on? See, unfortunately for many, when they first come to faith in Jesus, they're kind of at the high point in many of their spiritual lives, they're kind of at the high point of love and loyalty to and for Jesus, the highest they will ever be. And rather than growing in love and loyalty to Jesus, we, we instead of maturing, we, they wind up stalling. And like an airplane that's kind of heading up into the a- atmosphere. When the engine stalls, what happens? It's not good, right? It comes crashing back down. And to, quite honestly, in my life, sometimes I look in the mirror, and quite honestly, I bet if you were to be honest with yourself, you look in the mirror and say, you know what? I've been in a tailspin for the last five years. I've been plummeting for the last three years. Not maturing. Not maturing. Not growing up into salvation, not seeing myself become more patient, the fruit of the Spirit being born in my life, and more peaceful in the midst of distress, and more kind and generous towards others, and more holy in what I think, and what what I'm feeling and desiring. I hadn't seen that like I should. See, will you forgive more quickly and readily in 2015 than you did in 2014? Will you give and serve more faithfully and generously in 2015 than you did in 2014? Will you encourage and admonish one another and share your faith with greater passion and frequency than in 2015 than you did in 2014? And listen, for some of us, we might look in the mirror and go, that'd be with one person. Like, if I, if I shared my faith with one person in 2015, I'd share it with more than I did in 2014. If I encouraged one person in 2015, I'd encourage more people than I did in 2014. If I admonished one person in 2015, I'd be admonishing more people than I did in 2014. Man, I long for that in my life. I long for that in your life. And Peter says, the answer to that maturation is craving the Word. Longing. For it like a baby does its mother's milk. And if the Bible is so important for our maturation, if the word of God is so vital and longing for it, is so, so crucial and necessary in us maturing toward the image of Christ, then why is it that we don't long for it like we, do, like we should? Like a baby opening its mouth and turning its head toward the breast and saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. There's at least three reasons. There's at least three reasons why you may not crave and long for the word like Peter calls us to crave and long for the word. And the first one is this, because you may be dead. You may be dead. See, everything that Peter says in these verses is built on the foundation of what he said earlier in the letter. In chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In one twenty-three, Peter says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So everything Peter says in 2, 2, and 3 is conditioned, is built upon what he said previously in the letter. He says, if you've been born again, if you've been, if God has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the agency of that new birth has been the word that God has planted within you, then you should crave and long for it. And if you don't crave and long for it, it could be, it could be you've never come to life. Dead people right, can have all kinds of cravings. They can crave hundreds of things. But people who have never been brought from death to life, who have never crossed over from darkness to light, people who have never been brought to life by the Holy Spirit through the person and work of Jesus Christ and their faith in what He has finished for them at the cross. You can crave a hundred things, thousands of things, but you will never crave this. You'll never crave the word of God. You'll never turn your head to the Bible and say, feed me if you're dead. And it could be for some of us in the room that the reason that we, over, we've been in, we feel like we've been in a tailspin for the last 15 or 20 years, we've kind of walked an aisle when we were a child and we raised our hand and we said a prayer, but we've never really come to life. And I hope and my prayer for you if that's you this morning, is that God would be gracious and he would cause you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that that imperishable seed would be planted in your soul and it would say, he would say, live and you would live and you would have life and you would go, I'm thirsty and you would turn your head to this book and you would drink every word like a baby does its mother's milk. Another reason that you may not crave the word like you should, and like Peter commands us to, is that you might, it might be a disease, kind of like a spiritual cancer. She says all kinds of diseases that can diminish your appetite, all kinds of spiritual cancers that can diminish your appetite for the word of God. Peter talks about some of those earlier in verse 1. He says, when he says, put away these things, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. It may be that what has been bottled up in your heart over the course of time because of your lack of willingness or quickness to forgive is that there are malicious thoughts about someone else. Now you want revenge. And that cancer has begun to spread throughout your body and has diminished your appetite for God's Word. Or it may be that you've you've given yourself over to hypocrisy and you're saying one thing but you're doing another. Or it may be that you're just envious and you look around at what everyone else has and you have this insatiable desire to acquire and achieve more and more and more to have more status and security in our society. There's envy that is growing within your soul. Or it may be that you speak against people rather than for people and slandering them. And there's a spiritual cancer that's taken root in your soul that you need to repent of Today. Because your appetite has been diminished. And you don't want to put your face in this book. Why? Because it gets painful. And it calls you to repent. So it may be that you're dead. It may be that you're diseased. but It may just be that you're dull. Your senses have become dull. See, our natural appetite, I tell this to my kids all the time, listen, this is why I don't give you candy and chips at 4.30 p.m. Right When your mom is fixing dinner, or I'm fixing dinner, which happens pretty rarely okay, that I do it, but your mom is preparing dinner, unless it's out on the grill, okay. your mom's preparing dinner, and we're going to eat at 5.30 or 6 p.m., so you're not going to eat a bunch of candy and chips at 4.30. Why? Because you're not going to be hungry. Right? You're going to fill yourself with all this fluff. It's going to kind of dull your appetite. You're not going to eat the things that are going to be nourishing for you. And unfortunately for some of us, we fill our heads and hearts with so much constant entertainment and hollow content that serious reflection on substantive truth becomes unpalatable for us. And we grow dull of hearing and reading God's Word. Robert Murray McShane, in a sermon um, preached hundreds of years ago, said, said this. He said, when a soul is first brought to Christ, he delights in the Word of God, and he has an appetite for it as a newborn babe. Just as an infant has a constant, steadily recurring appetite for his mother's milk, so has the soul for the word. He has spiritual understanding of the word. It all seems sweet and easy. It testifies of Jesus. The soul grasps this meaning, earnestly inquires from ministers and others the meaning of difficult passages. It is felt to be the daily nourishment of the soul, the sword to ward off temptation. See, that's what it's like many times when folks first come to faith. There's just, there's just they can't get enough. It's an insatiable appetite. And then he says in the next paragraph, what a difference in decay. No relish for the word. It may be read as a duty or as a burdensome task it is not delighted in. Other books are preferred to the Bible. There is no growing in knowledge of the word, no self-application, no receiving it with meekness, no frequent recurrence of the mind to the chapter read in the morning, no answering Satan by thus it is written and thus says the Lord. When you face temptation, you don't go back to Scripture. He says... Ah, my friends, how how is it the gold becomes dim? Gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. (laughs) In other words, it's become dull, it's lost its luster, and one of the reasons it loses its luster for us in the age that we live in is because of the constant entertainment that we are bombarded with and the hollow content that we consume so frequently. has not the nourishment or calories that we need. See, do you spend more time searching social media networks or watching online videos or checking sports scores or searching for the right curtains for the living room, the right paint color for the closet than you do putting your face in the Bible saying, feed me. See, some of us could rattle off the stats for our favorite players, teams, or fantasy roster. Right, We know those by heart. Or the split times for our last run, the number of calories and ingredients in our favorite recipes, know exactly what those are. Can recite lines from our favorite movies and lyrics from our favorite songs. We spend countless hours clashing with clans and answering the call to duty. But we can't think ourselves or talk others through the basic storyline of the Bible. And we're not hiding God's word in our heart. That we might not sin against him. We become dull by trying to feast on things that are not going to fill us. We turn our head away from the Bible toward entertainment and shallow content. So we don't mature, we don't progress. Our character, convictions, and conduct look the same in 2014 as they did in 2013. You're dead or diseased or dull. And so if this desire for the word of God, this longing and craving for God's word isn't there in your life, what should you do? Look, let me encourage you: don't settle for it and just say, that's just the way that I am. Right? Because some of you go, I'm just, you know, you look at the Bible and you see in Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 and 2, as the psalmist writes, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The psalmist compares himself to a deer that is panting after living streams of water that are flowing from God. And some of us read that and you go, well, I'm not really a deer-like person. I'm more like a camel, Right? I show up once a week and I listen to the Word of God preached and read and I kind of fill up my humps and I'm good for the rest of the week. I kind of go out there and I just kind of draw off of those humps over over the course of the seven days and I come back in and I get refilled. And then you may miss two or three weeks and you go, man, I'm really running low. i got to get back to church or listen to an online sermon or read a book somewhere. Right? You're not feeding on it, feasting on it, drinking it in every day. You go, well, I'm just a camel type person. There's deer type people out there, I know, but I'm just a camel type person. And you kind of create a chart and say, well, here's the camel type people. This is kind of what they do. And there's deer type people, and this is what they do. And when we do that, we wind up settling, saying, I'll never be that way. I'll never long for the word of God. I'll never crave God's word. Like the psalmist says, a deer. Pants after streams of water and laps it up wherever it can find it. Don't settle. Don't settle. Rather than settling, is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to pray today, even in the next few moments. Pray and ask that God would make His word to you like honey. It would be Psalm 119, 103. He'd make that true in your life. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So that God's word would be like honey and it would be like milk. It would be nourishing and help you develop and it would taste sweet to you and not bitter. And that you would turn your face to this book and you would say, feed me, feed me, feed me. That you would read the Bible. And not just settle for devotional material about the Bible, but you would read the Bible. You would crave God's word. Listen, some of you, or maybe all you've ever read really is devotional material. Once you came to faith in Jesus, somebody gave you this little book. said, hey, here's 365 daily readings. Go read this. And it was helpful for you at first, perhaps. But here's an issue with Devotional material okay, devotional material is kind of like processed food. The Bible is kind of like whole food, right? One of those (laughs) will not provide you the nourishment, life-sustaining nourishment that you need. One of them will. One of them will. And so as opposed to filling up on processed devotionals that won't provide you the nutrients that you need to be healthy, and here's why it will fail you. It will fail you in several ways. First of all, processed devotionals will not help you discern truth from error. They won't. You'll come across a truth that you hear of some, some guy on television, on the internet, or something you read in a book somewhere. And you're not going to be able to discern truth from error if all your diet consists of is processed devotional material. But if you open the Bible and you read the Bible, you go, that didn't sound quite right. It helps you discern. Also, process devotionals don't typically equip you to live on mission, and they don't awaken your heart and soul to love God like you should. Because typically process devotionals are all pointed at, here's one practical thing you can go out and do today. Go out and do this today. Go out and do this tomorrow. Go out and do this next day, on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. They don't necessarily uncover the beauties and glories of God. You don't fall in love with God. You go, I got to go do this. I got to go do this. I got to go do this. Is when you put your face in this book. And I said, it equips you to live on mission and it awakens your heart and soul to love God. So you need a plan to read the Bible. I want to help you with that a little bit this morning. Uh, we, I, we didn't create this, we borrowed it from somebody else. Uh, but over the course of the next year, we've kind of lined out a reading plan. I want to encourage you to read along with us. It, not, it doesn't read the whole Bible in a year, but it reads the whole story of the Bible in a year. The whole big story of the Bible from creation to fall to redemption to restoration over the course of a twelve-year, 11-month 12, span starting this week, right? We had some cards on order and they're somewhere in Quinlan, I think. And so once we find those, we'll have them here next week for you. Be able to distribute them. But until then, this is up on our website and we will send out the link to that Um, to this afternoon so you can begin reading with us tomorrow and it's five days a week that we're asking you to read along with us and it's usually no more than a chapter or two a day and we're going to read through the story of the Bible together over the course of the next year as we turn our head to this book and say feed me so we might grow up into the image of Christ as a people planted here in this community to love God and love others. So we'll send that link out to you today. Next week we'll have cards you can put in your Bibles so you can carry it with you wherever you might be. Might be You can open up that Bible go, this is what I'm reading today. This is what I'm reading tomorrow. This is what I'm reading the next day. This is what I'm reading the next day. And it's all just pure, unfiltered Scripture. So I want to encourage you. If you don't have a plan that's going to put you in the Bible this year, join in us. Join in this with us. So that January 1 of 2016, we look back and go, man, look what God has done. As we've matured, as we've grown, as we read the story together. My final question is this. What is powerful enough to cause us to crave the word of God the way that Peter says that we should crave it? What's going to awaken that kind of longing in you? And once you know what Peter says in the text, Peter conditions the craving that we are to do upon the tasting that we have done. Look what he says in verse three. He says, the only way that you and I are gonna crave God's word in the way that we should in order to mature is if we've tasted of the goodness and kindness of God in the gospel. If we taste it of the goodness and kindness of God in the gospel. In verse 3, Peter says that our craving is dependent upon our tasting. In verse 2, Peter says, you crave for the word. Verse 3 says, Peter conditions that craving on the tasting with this clause. He says, if, if, crave God's word, if, what? You've tasted that he is good. Some of your translations might say you've tasted that he is kind. If You've tasted that he's good and kind. Where do you taste of God being good and kind? You taste of him being good and kind, in the gospel. That's what Peter says at the end of chapter 1 and verse 25. It says, The word is what? The good news. It's the good news. The good news of who God is and what he has done, who you are and what we should do. The gospel is the good news. And only if you taste of God in the gospel and that good news unfolds the beauty of God before your eyes, will you turn your head to the Bible and say, feed me, give me more. I need it. I want it. Taste of his goodness and kindness in the gospel. Because when you taste of something good, what happens? It awakens an appetite in you for, some, for more, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Is the difference between eating a a cut of boiled liver in a Russian school cafeteria versus eating a tender filet at three forks, right? One of them you taste and you go, man, I can barely get it past my mouth. I can barely get it past my nose to get into my mouth. And the other, you taste it and you say, I want more. I want more. It awakens an appetite, doesn't it? And if you taste of God as good and kind in the gospel, then it wakens a longing and a craving and a desire for more of who He is and more of what He has to say. That you might mature, that you might develop, that you might grow. See, if you just think the Bible is all about what I've got to do, it's just tips and tricks for me to get through life, things that I've got to implement and apply, then you're going to go out from here and you're going to say, man, I'm not really that hungry. If you look at the Bible and you say, this is the story, the story of everything that God has done in human history to redeem and save a lost and fallen humanity from beginning to end, cover to cover. And you see that what the Bible is, is not, right? The gospel, And this is what makes Christianity so different than every other world religion because in Christianity, it's not, I do so he will. Every other religion is that way. I do, so he will. These are all the things that I'm going to do, the the tips and tricks that I'm going to implement in my life so that he will bless me or he will love me or he will save me. The gospel undercuts that at the very core because the gospel is not I do, so he will. The gospel is he did, so I will. It starts with God. He did. He did. He created and formed and fashioned me in my mother's womb. He created our first parents out of the dust of the ground, the rib of his side, and he formed me in my mother's womb. he It starts with him. I rebelled against him. I walked away from him. But by his gracious love, he pursued me. And he calls me to be born again to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the grave. And he planted within me this imperishable seed. His glory endures forever, not like the flower of the grass. He did that. So I will. I will read this book. I will drink of this book. I will eat of this book because it's so sweet to me. It's like honey. And my soul longs and pants for it like a deer. Because He's good and kind. If you don't see God as good and kind, then your whole life will be, I, w- I, I do, so He will. But if you see if God is good and kind, you will say, He did, so I will. And I want to see us mature. I want to see our facial structure change. I want to see our voice deepen. I want to see muscles that we've never used before just get strong. But in order to do that, Got a crave. I'll close with this. Robert Murray McShane in that same uh, sermon several hundred years ago, said the words of the Bible are the breathings of God's heart. He fills the heart with these to make us like God. When you go much with a companion and hear his words, you are gradually changed by them into his likeness. So when you go with Christ and hear his words, you are sanctified. Oh, there are some of you I could tell to be Christ by their breathing the same sweet breath. Man, that God, that people would say that of us as a church. Those of you that do not read your Bible cannot turn like God. Oh, believers, prize the word. Let's pray together. Father, we come today with hearts filled with gratitude for your love and mercy and kindness. And Father, for those of us who may be dead, I pray that you bring us to life. For those of us who are diseased, I pray that we would repent and find the gospel to be sufficient to cure us of that disease, of envy, or of slander, or of malice, or of deceit, or of hypocrisy. And for those of us who have grown so dull because we've consumed so much hollow content, I pray, I pray that you'd awaken a longing within us, that your word would taste like honey, that we would long for it like a deer pants for streams of living water flowing from you. And Father, in these moments, in these moments as we sing together, in response to what you have said, may we not only sing words, but may we pray prayers that you would make your word to be sweet to us, that we might long for it and crave it so that we would mature. And a year from now, that we would be looking back, blessing you and thanking you for the evidence of life our lives and the life of our congregation. Because we spent a year spent a year craving, feeding on your word. We pray this in Jesus name.